WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Tuberculosis was once known as the White Plague and was responsible for up to 25% of all deaths between the 1600s and 1800s. In the mid-1900s, a successful treatment regimen caused tuberculosis to fall off the United States' infectious disease radar. However, in the 1980s to 1990s, the HIV epidemic caused a resurgence in tuberculosis cases in the United States. While the numbers continue to go down globally, it is estimated that up to 1 in 4 people are infected with tuberculosis, and 1.4 million people died in 2018 from tuberculosis. Today we're here to talk to John Williams. John studies tuberculosis, but I'll let him tell you more about them. John, can you please tell our audience about your research? Yes. So I study mycobacterium tuberculosis. It's the causative agents of tuberculosis. My research mainly focuses around trying to identify the next TB drug. So TB, which is tuberculosis for short, requires four drugs to be taken daily for six months to successfully treat. However, insufficient treatment regimens in some has led to the evolution of drug-resistant tuberculosis strains. And so to combat this problem, we need new drugs to treat TB. And that is what the primary goal of my research is. Thanks for joining us today, John. One of the first things that I think of when I hear tuberculosis is that one scene from Rick and Morty from the Anatomy Park episode where there was all those tuberculosis bacteria being activated in the show. I can't help but think... If TB has been around for as long as it has, why are people always trying to develop new sort of antibiotics for this kind of disease? TB has been around for so long, we do need new treatments for it. And the reason why we need new treatments is that TB, like other bacteria that cause infections, are evolving against the current drug regimen that we have. So we currently have four drugs to treat TB. However, some strains, such as multi-drug resistant strains, are resistant to two of them while extensively drug-resistant strains can be resistant to up to all four of the main first-line TB drugs. Wow, that sounds like a lot for these patients to be taking four antibiotics or drugs at the same time. That seems like a lot for their system, and it makes me wonder why do they need so much, and for how long? Is this maybe like a Z-pack where you only take it for a few days, or are they taking this for a long amount of time? The reason why we need to take four drugs for six months is that when TB drugs first came around, the first one was streptomycin, and people were taking that and they were getting treated semi-successfully. However, they would become reinfected, and when they were treated again with streptomycin, antibiotic streptomycin would stop working. And that's because TB rapidly evolves resistance to drugs. So it became clear later on that the only way to successfully treat TB is to give a patient four drugs to be taken for six months. And really, the person will begin to feel better after the first two weeks of therapy. However, they're not actually fully treated. The TB becomes enters in a state of quiescence in which the disease burden has greatly been reduced, but not fully eradicated. And so they're put on four drugs for six months to fully eradicate the infection. Wow. I remember having a friend back in college who had to take antibiotics during her last semester, and she couldn't even drink to celebrate. Is the goal of your research to find a quicker method to deal with this kind of treatment, or are you optimizing current drug treatments that exist? 
So my research is primarily circling around trying to find a new drug for when one of the first four main drugs fails. In that case, when you have a breakdown of one, you can have a breakdown of all. So we are trying to find the next TB drug for the cases of multi-drug resistant and extensively drug resistant tuberculosis. So to give you some insight on what multi-drug resistant means, in case of tuberculosis, like I mentioned, there's four main drugs, pyrazinamide, isoniazid, rifampin, and ethambutol. Multi-drug resistant strains are resistant to two of the first line drugs. And then extensively drug resistant strains are resistant to all four. And so when you have multi-drug resistant TB, you need to replace up to two of the main four drugs. And so that's what my research is about, trying to find a new drug to replace one of those. This sounds like a very complex project. Usually we're used to hearing people working with one bacteria that is only used with one antibiotic. However, you're looking at stages of it. Whenever you're studying this, are you using like a cell culture model where you have tuberculosis and are you possibly infecting lung cells? How are you doing this? Yeah, we use a cell culture model. We test our compounds both in a cell culture for TB, and that bacterium can take up to a week to two weeks to grow up in culture. We also test our compounds for the ability to either inhibit the growth of or kill TB inside of macrophages. So TB likes to survive inside of our own immune cells inside the lung, and one of those immune cells is a macrophage. So we need to make sure that our drugs can kill TB inside of the macrophage without killing our own immune cells. I think that's really interesting that you're working with cultured TB cells right now. During this COVID pandemic, it's made me think more about things like biosecurity across the world. How does your lab practice safety whenever you're handling this bacteria? So TB can be spread through aerosols, kind of like COVID, but it's a lot less infectious than COVID. But we do have to take extra precautions. So we actually work in a biosafety level three facility, which allows us to safely work inside it. So we actually have to wear either a respirator or a papper. Papper is what you usually see in movies, the hood with the ventilation system on it. And so that prevents us from becoming infected with the TB that we work with. So a BSL-1 facility is usually dealing with very low-risk bacteria. You can think of these as usually environmental isolates that don't really cause disease in people. A biosafety level 2 or BSL-2 facility is usually when you have to deal with recombinant DNA as well as more common pathogens such as Staphylococcus aureus, or these usually require a minimum safety of a lockable door and specific training. A BSL-3 facility, though, is really designed to prevent aerosol infection from occurring. So if you're working with staph, it's not easily aerosolized. But if you're working with tuberculosis, its main way of being transmitted is through aerosols. And so a BSL-3 facility is designed to prevent aerosols from occurring largely inside the lab and to keep the workers safe. Wow, that's pretty cool. I think you're the first person that we've had that works in a lab that's BSL-3 certified. I want to delve more into your cell culture techniques and how the methods go with them. You were saying that for the treatment, it needs to be around six months. Are you culturing these cells for six months? Because I would imagine that's very difficult. And imagine if like four months down the line, your experiment is messed up, then you lose everything. Fortunately, no. So TB in broth culture will grow up in about one to two weeks. 
And when we treat it, our experiments usually only last for about a week, maybe two weeks if we really want to go into a deeper experiment. The reason why it takes so long in people is because TB will go slightly either dormant or quiescent and it'll slow its metabolism. But the culture methods that I use keep TB growing and rapidly dividing. So it dies and antibiotics are a lot more effective, a lot quicker. So you essentially you're working with a nice TB soup in your laboratory. And after you've performed your experiments and introduced this new drug, how are you able to tell whether or not the TB was eradicated? Are there any physical cues that you use? We look for two main parameters for determining how effective our compound was. One, we can look to see, does TB continue to grow after you add your compound of choice? Or two, we can actually plate for survival, in which case we look to see if our compounds are working against TB to expose TB to the compound inside a liquid culture, and then at different time points, take samples of that liquid culture and plate them onto a solid agar plate. And then after about one to two months, colonies should start appearing and we can count the number of colonies relative to when we started the experiment. And using this, we can see if the TB is growing, if it's not growing, or if it's actually dying based on the number of colonies. If I recall correctly, you had mentioned that you were studying TB in macrophages. So whenever you infect the macrophages with TB, how are you checking to see if it's growing? Whenever you look at your cells in the microscope, are you able to see it floating around or do you need to stain your cells for TB? We can definitely look using microscopy, using a microscope, we can look for active cell division. But our main method is actually to crack open the macrophages and then extract the TB from them and then plate them onto solid media. Alternatively, there are various commercial assays available as well that we can also use. So we have TB strains that have a firefly luciferase, so they create luminescence when you give them the right substrate. And we can actually measure this luminescence as another way to monitor for TB growth. Just to summarize what we've talked about, you're working with the TB in these two different environments between the agar plates and the actual broth. But when is the antibiotic drug being introduced to the TB? And what are the parameters that you use to effectively measure the TB's antibiotic resistance to that particular drug? When we're studying the effectiveness of one of our compounds, what we typically do is we take a culture of TB and add the compound of choice. And then we, over time, take samples of that culture and plate it on solid agar to count colonies and see how effective our compound is. When we're measuring, though, for drug resistance, what we're looking for is how often does the TB become resistant to our new compound? And we can do this by taking a solid agar plate and actually amending it or adding one of our compounds. And then we can plate a ton of TB cells and then wait for spontaneous resistant mutants to come up. And we can actually count those colonies that come up and compare it to the number of cells we originally plated. And this gives us a frequency of resistance. So in terms of antibiotic resistance, we are really looking at how quickly and how often does TB become resistant to our new compound. I like the idea of this because you're trying to see spontaneously if these colonies are coming up, which would show the resistance to the drug. 
However, like we've said a few times, some people have TB that's just quiescent and they don't even realize that it's there. We've been discussing culturing these cells in different ways, for example, growing them in a liquid model or on a solid agar plate. However, in real life, it might be different to compare these models to a human. How does your work translate to human models? So our work really is trying to see, do these compounds kill TB under actively replicating states? And so when TB is inside a person, it's really under two main life cycles, actively replicating and uh, a quiescent state. Our compounds, we know are active and effective against actively replicating TB bacteria. So we are trying to see if a person has active TB disease where the bacteria are replicating, can our compounds kill the bacteria? And the idea here is that if we can kill TB in, in a culturing method, as well as in an intracellular method, so when TB is inside a macrophage, then maybe we can translate this to people where the compounds will kill actively replicating bacteria inside the person. I'm glad that we have researchers pursuing this kind of work to help make the world a safer place. How do people get involved with this research, though? Do you have any advice for any of our listeners that are interested in doing bacterium research? My greatest piece of advice is just to try and reach out. You might find that if you talk to a professor and you express actual interest in their work, an opportunity may become available. And my great piece of advice is just take any opportunity that becomes available to you because you never know what it could turn out to be. It was really great talking to you today, John. Before you go, I remember that you had mentioned that you're in your fifth year and you're completing your dissertation. Do you have any idea what you're going to do once you've completed your PhD? So I'm looking to do a postdoc and continuing my work in tuberculosis. I'm planning on moving more towards the host side, so the immune cells and such. But I'm hoping to one day start my own lab in a research institute, much like the one at Michigan State. Hopefully the pandemic is over before you graduate so that way you could enjoy the spoils of your PhD. Good luck with applying to postdoc positions, and thanks for talking to us about your work. Thank you very much for having me on, and I hope that everything goes well with the rest of the year. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Dan Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandrin, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. The SciFiles can be found online on SciFiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at impact9fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.